and well it's i i find it's always a real privilege to be able to talk about what i do and i mean uh, uh, photography isn't always what i've done and so uh, i've i've done a lot of changes in my life i suppose to be able to do what i do now and, and I've, yeah it's just always a privilege to be able to talk about it and 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 speak about what you're passionate about so yeah so it's mm. always nice to have people ask questions and and um yeah help people out okay so let me start by saying that again like what does photography mean to you and why are you doing what you're doing right now well um i mean for, for photography for me is 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 it's it's my life now i suppose i mm. i it, it's actually a really interesting question because it's um it's kind of like what does my life mean to me in a way when mm. you when you say that and yeah. uh I can't really imagine a life without it. And I, I certainly sometimes think about how easy it would be if I stopped being a photographer and went back to doing like working for somebody else. But I run the scenario through my mind and, and I immediately <laughs> just kind of feel like I'd be sitting there, whatever I was doing all day, yeah. just looking through maps of Tasmania or planning my next trip or, you know, so, and then I just snap back into it and go, well, why don't I just do that now? Like, I'm, like this wow. is what I'm here doing now. So why, you know, so um uh, it it means to me uh, a, a lifelong uh, process of learning following a passion understanding and seeing natural beauty uh that you could that that really um, you couldn't even comprehend i've seen so many things in my life that i just never thought i would actually have seen or been able to uh, visit and i think for me that's that just is a very enriching and fulfilling experience that uh, I'm I feel very very grateful to have uh so yeah I don't know if that's a lot of meaning in that but the the I guess the big meaning for me is being able to share those amazing places and beautiful mm. scenes and uh, the feeling that elicits and sharing that with the audience and and hoping that they can get a better understanding of of where it is that I visit and also what uh, those places mean to the world, you know, that they should be protected and, and um, mm. you know, hopefully, you know, they can build up some skills and and um, responsibly visit them uh, themselves as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty um, lucky thing. I often describe it as, you know, my job is to be in the most beautiful place in the world at the most beautiful time. Mm and witnessing that all unfold in front of me and being able to capture that and share that with people and if that's um your job then you know uh, uh, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about that it's it's um uh, in what, what more do you need <laughs> yeah so uh, how long have you been doing photography for luke well i've been shooting for about uh over 10 years and oh. uh it was really started off as a hobby i was doing it after work do work in uh, quality assurance and uh, as a, uh, my background actually is a science uh, in science um, a microbiologist so I was, I was testing wines and other food products and things like that and um, I was living in Melbourne at the time when I started and uh, I was always interested in photography but never really got into it I had a film camera um, when I was younger but um, I was always I felt bad about um, like my parents always spending money to to actually uh, have to develop all of the film. So I didn't really uh, get into photography until digital started. So we're talking about 2008, sort of uh, well, digital started before then, but that was, I guess, when the, all of the affordable um, DSLRs were coming out. I started off with a Canon 450D 
And wow. um, it was a, I still got it, still works. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I went out and, and um, I would, yeah, just take photos after work. And uh, actually, um, really, uh, one of the big inspirations was actually when I moved to Melbourne and I was captivated by the skyline of Melbourne, I guess, being a, a, a originally from Adelaide and, you know, there's not many buildings to speak yeah. of there. It's not, not, not quite as busy <laughs> as, as Melbourne is. And, and so when I moved, I was like, wow, I'd just really love to photograph these things. And that's, you know, when the Balti Bridge was new and Webb Bridge. And so all of this sort of new infrastructure was being built and, and um, it was all interesting and different. And so, yeah, I, I learned how to take uh, cityscape photos and, and it really, um, developed from there i suppose so definitely can credit melbourne for inspiring me it's unusual to be a landscape photographer but starting off being inspired by cityscapes but um that's definitely how it all unraveled yeah look i think as a as someone who's interested in photography i still distinctly remember the first time i held a camera in my hand and i fell in love with photography do you still remember that moment yeah, look, I, I, I don't know if I remember a specific moment, specific, but yeah. I, I definitely remember being younger, and um, my dad had a whole bunch of like old encyclopedias and Nat Geo books, and he he was a, he subscribed to Nat Geo, so there was all always these magazines and books around, and I remember just sitting on the couch and opening up these books, and you know, Steve Parrish is is one of my main inspirations growing up as well, and I just remember going, looking through those and thinking, wow, how amazing would it be to take a photo like that one day. And I never really expected that I'd actually be able to do that, but it was just such a inspiring thing to see all of these places and all of these amazing images. And and so I've always been interested in imagery and um yeah, and then you know, getting the actual camera was a bit of an oh shit moment, I suppose, where I had to actually then, um, you know, try and learn the skills and and push through that. And and I guess thankfully I had the patience to to. I guess I, I got pretty obsessed with it after a while, so I didn't have much yeah. um, uh, inhibition to to go out and and try. But uh, that was definitely um, uh, you know the the desire from when I was very young just to communicate through images was definitely there. Yeah. So was there a, some sort of learning like a course or a degree or was that some sort of potential learning or did you, was that a trial and error method for you back then? Oh, it was, it was absolutely trial and error. Um, it was back in those days. It sounds so weird to say, but there was—I mean, YouTube really wasn't a thing. There was there wasn't really resources like there is now for people to learn from. People weren't putting out tutorials, um, so you—it it was really learning in the field and and learning what to do and what not to do, uh, what worked. And I, I worked out kind of myself that blue hour was a really good time to shoot. I didn't have any any filters at all, so so I used the um, low light. To, to be my filter um, because, you know, you can do longer exposures. Mm. And so I, I, I and then taught myself post-processing through um, Photoshop and then and then uh, Adobe Camera Raw and, and uh, then Lightroom after that. So, but then I have um, more recently, uh, oh, maybe five years ago, I had a, a, a period where I was just like, I'm really just going to focus on post-processing and I would actually, rather than going out shooting every night, I would I would go out and, and edit a photo, or not go out, but I'd edit a photo at home mm. and uh, just go through all of the the steps and, and looked at other people's tutorials and and tried to, to pick up tips and different ways of doing things. So it was it, it's definitely um, a self 
the journey of self-discovery. And I always think that with photography, that the, the minute you stop learning something is probably the time yeah. to hang up the camera, really. Mm. And, that, and okay. for me, that's that's definitely part of the excitement about photography is that it, you know, it's definitely a job for life. There's always something else that you yeah. can you do. Can um, yeah. yeah, and like so, I do like infrared. I will do um, long exposures, oh. astrophotography. You know, auroras, uh, wilderness. Um, I've been um, researching other uh, photography um, using other like full spectrum cameras and and sort of like and black and white I've done as well. So it's kind of like you can always find a different niche or a different mm. way of photographing something to keep that interest going as well. Um. You touched on post-processing, and just before I de- we delve into that part, um, I, w- I wanted to know that who were those photographers initially who influenced you? And, you know, because I, I've looked up to some photographers uh, growing back uh, when I was falling in love with photography. Who were those photographers that you that influenced your work? Yeah, um, I I would definitely say um Steve Parrish, who I mentioned, would be my original inspiration. Just mainly because I mean he was he was prolific in putting out books um, when I was growing up, and my parents had quite a lot of them, and so I would be going through those a lot. And and I guess that sort of lit a flame initially. And I've definitely met other photographers as well that that that's been a similar experience. Um, and then uh, when I was getting into photography, I, I was really um, looking at a lot of the uh, photographers on. Flickr and and my friend mm-hmm. Dylan Toe actually was one of my big inspirations uh, starting out um, and it's been really lovely to be able to connect with him as I have been able to connect with Steve Parrish actually uh, and yeah. um, and sort of meet these people that have have had a really big impact on on um, my journey and and um, inspiration in, in getting into it but there's such a plethora of um, photographers out there that that um, you always pick up little bits and pieces and and it, it feels wrong to name names in some ways but there's there's definitely a few key characters for me that that um really helped me to understand and and more recently uh, peter dombrovskis as well who's a very yeah. famous um tasmanian wilderness photographer and, and the work that he's put out and and his attitude and and ability to capture um memorable scenes that are going to always stand the test of time um he's he's passed away um was it almost 30 years uh and um you know it's his, his work still just as um beautiful and relevant and uh, I guess it's because it's of the wilderness. It's pure. Um, it's always going to be relevant because the mm. wilderness is is just does what it does. So, yeah, it's pretty special to have um, those those um those inspirations and and but but realistically, every time you see a photo, it, it acts as an inspiration for something. I think um, it, sometimes it's inspiring you not to do something. Sometimes it inspires you to try something different. Or, or I think um, every photo you see, you could treat as a learning opportunity. What was it like meeting those or getting in touch with people that you looked up to? Well, what kind uh, of questions did you ask them or what was it like? Oh, I think it was it was it was pretty daunting. <laughs> but also um yeah, it just it, it felt very um it felt very good in the sense of it, it being a it's like a the circle is complete or something being able to make make a connection and and even with Dylan I've been able to go out on some uh, pretty awesome adventures and, and things like that as well so um yeah getting to to um, really see how they shoot in, in the field uh, and understand their attitude and mindset and and those kind of aspects is is really beneficial as well so I've learned so much from the friends that I've photographed with over the years and um, something I certainly uh, encourage people to do is to mm. uh, find a great 
uh, circle of uh, photographers that are like-minded and and photograph things similar to what you do. And, um, you know, it, it just naturally, even if you don't collaborate on a project, I'm just talking about equipment and uh, even sometimes it's just having enough um, kind of uh, like it, it encourages you to get out there because you've made mutual plans. You can't cancel. You know, like we're going to go on this hike now. Let's get out there. So, um, so definitely those aspects. So I guess that, that, that feeds back to the inspirations and, and, and yeah, it's not always, um, sometimes the greatest inspirations are are your friends. Um, Mm -hmm. and you don't really, um, they don't have to be someone that you've got up on a pedestal. They can be someone that, um, you, you associate with all the time and, and you only really see that in hindsight sometimes. Was there something different about how they were shooting or how the perspective worked before them? Was something different? Did you notice something different? I, I think um, my passion's probably the word I could say, and mm. like the the um, the drive um, that they have, and it's clear that the the passion and drive is just uh, um, innate. So they don't they're not having to try uh, to to make themselves do things. Uh, it's kind of like uh, they they just don't stop in a way. Uh, so. Mm. So you know that it's it's kind of like what people live for sometimes. So I think that that's a big aspect of it. So you don't really um, uh, it's very um, yeah very organic sort of thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really awesome to see. And it does definitely feed back into your own approach to to photography as well. Um, when you when you're around passionate people, it really rubs off on you. Look how much do you think that post-processing matters in terms of, you know, expressing the, the work. Like, do you, do you, you as you just touched uh, recently that, you know, you would rather um, work and post-process on images um, than sometimes going on, uh, going out and actually shooting. And I've done that as well. I would actually go out and shoot so much and I would have so much sitting, but I want post-process because I don't know, like being a creative person, I would rather just take pictures and just give it to someone like, okay, here you go. You can edit it how I want, but I would rather be out there shooting. I'm I'm with you, man. Like I absolutely <laughs> love the shooting part, um, the post processing part. I actually do love post processing too, but finding a, a time or or I'm being in the right mood for it, um, is is just so much harder. I, I feel like I'm almost always in the mood to go out and take a photo if the conditions are right, but um, the conditions could be right for me editing something, and it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that's what happens. Uh, I think in terms of how important is post processing, I really it is very important. Uh, you could, but it's also I think the importance is also overstated. Having said that. So I'd like to think it's a 50-50 kind of split, actually, um, just mm. just off the top of my head. Um, you know, people can say you can, um, for lack of a better term, polish turds in, in Photoshop and, uh, and or in Lightroom and, and, you know, make something out of nothing. But yeah. um, my, my personal opinion is that, um, you know, I'm wanting to go like part of the experience for me is the thrill of being out there and planning something or mm. understanding how the the atmosphere is going to unfold and being in the right place to capture that and making all of that up in Photoshop for me um, is like 
why bother even um, putting all that yeah. effort in? Uh, I don't. I don't like for me. I think being there and actually seeing it and and experiencing that is is part of why I want to do what I do. Mm. And so, I, I, you know, having an amazing moment in nature is awesome versus an amazing moment in Photoshop, maybe not so awesome. You know, yeah. so uh, I feel like that's. Um, that's that's where I'm at with it, but having said that, if you go out and take a really great shot, but post process it horribly, um, then mm-hmm. then it, it doesn't that sort of undoes that as well. So I guess it's more so about post processing tastefully, um, but it still is very important. Like a lot of my photos as a raw file, uh, really don't fully convey what. I actually saw when I was there. And so you have to post process it to really get that back. And especially if you're shooting into the sun or there's situations where it, it you know, uh, it's very challenging uh, light for a camera to actually uh, capture that accurately, in, especially in one photo, you, you are going to have to do some work to bring that back. And and my biggest compliment I could possibly get with my photography is that people think that my edits are tasteful and, and are true to the the scene. And and you know that the, they they think they're sort of on the mark for from you know if they've visited that place, it represents what what that what that is. So um, yeah, but that's definitely um, it's definitely a good question and. I've, for me, post-processing is necessary and um, it should be, you know, I, I want to do it tastefully and, and also authentically to the scene that I put a lot of effort into getting to most of the time. You know, what's the point in putting all this effort to get somewhere and then the shot that you're showing people at the end isn't even representative of, of what you even saw? I, I don't know, maybe there is a point to that, but I, I don't I don't see that personally. Because <laughs> people don't realise this, that art, our actual human eyes have such high dynamic range that even the technology is so good, it's not there yet. Or it actually actually may never get there yet because the dynamic range of our eyes is so much and it's so high. And do you get that often weird uh, comment like, oh, it's been photoshopped or it's been edited? Because I'm getting sometimes and like, it just pisses me off sometimes. Like, you guys don't understand this is a raw file. It's like it's like a massive chunk of wood, and you have to just sort of you know refine it a little bit so that you have a you have a piece, you have a masterpiece to show it to people. Do you do you get that odd com- comment? I, I I totally agree with you, and um, I mean that spiel I just said then about how the the camera can't necessarily accurately capture the scene is mm. is is one way. I also try and use those um, com- comments as a learning opportunity because maybe they are seeing something in my photography that does make it feel less real or whatever real is that that's another conversation but maybe it uh, makes it feel to them like um it's no longer a, a true photograph or something so i would also ask them oh, is there anything about that image that made you say that and it might just be oh well you know um it might be a, a comment essentially outlining that um, mm. it doesn't look like it's straight out of a camera, um, which is goes back to my point. But they might say, oh, it's, you know, it just seems a bit too saturated or something like that. And so I'd take that then on board and go, okay, well, maybe I am going a bit far with it. And and so it, it, you can use that as a feedback opportunity as well because there, there's um, a level of um, possibly a level of truth to it, but also there's a possibly a level of um, <laughs> the lack of understanding about um, yeah. 
what actually photography does. And even now, like some people will say, you know, shots look better out of a phone than a, a big camera, but the, there's so much computational uh, photography mm. going on in a phone to, to make images look lifelike that um, it's all been done behind the scenes and smoke and mirrors sort of thing <laughs> that people don't know. I think there was a, a case recently where Samsung was overlaying Moon pictures shot. of the moon, um, all sorts of things. So you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with a with a camera. And yeah. when, when we go out, we shoot in a raw format which means that um, the camera is literally just capturing data that's there and, and not doing any computation to it and not, not adjusting anything on your behalf. And your, it's your job then to do that work. So um, I think that's that, that's probably going to, that divide might even increase a bit um, given that um, the phones don't um, typically shoot and roar and that kind of thing, although they can nowadays too. Now, nowadays they, they do. And I've been, uh, like I have a Samsung 21 Ultra and if, very rarely, I wouldn't. I've, I never switch to raw. Do you do you use your phone sometimes when you? Oh, that, here's an interesting question. Um, there are there times when you go out without your camera and you have a phone and you see something and you want to shoot, or um, you know, do you switch your camera phone's camera to raw? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I always I always have my phone with me. Um, it's part of the the this day and age. I actually have a twenty three ultra. I did have a twenty one ultra up until recently. So yeah, yeah. definitely know Samsung well. Um, and uh, phone photography, I'm all for. I, I nowadays the quality of uh, phone images is pretty outstanding. And mm-hmm. um, with the newest phone I have, um, I've been able to capture some pretty good Aurora shots with it, even and some astrophotography and things. So it's really being able to do things that um, I always would sort of scoff and think that you know phones would never be able to actually accomplish um so i i really like using phones to my phone to i'll pull it out and, and take a quick shot um to actually see if it's a a photograph with um putting the effort into and wow, it doesn't sound like much yes. effort but getting my big camera out and and you know, obviously the phone's right there you can get a quick snap and then you kind of go oh there's actually a bit of promise there and and so i'll, I'll get the bigger camera out i think it's a bit of a trap sometimes you, you feel like you've shot the scene if you use your phone and so you don't get your main camera out and that that can also be a problem um but yeah i mean i could list a whole bunch of um, good reasons to use a phone or you can use it to um, work out the field of view that you're trying to capture. Um, so which lens you should be using for a particular scene. Use phones a lot for the apps like planning apps like PhotoPills to work out uh, where the Milky Way or, or the different celestial objects are going to be for my shots. So um, there's, there's so many reasons to to have a tool like that. But yeah, I don't think um, if I'm on a shoot or, or really after a particular shot, I'll try and keep the phone away um, and really focus on just using my main camera because um you know i used to do a lot of stories and other things on social media and i was finding that that was such a distraction i was sometimes missing the best light i had was the light that i was putting in my story rather than actually capturing it in the camera so i've just decided to um try not to prioritize the phone in that case which makes a lot of sense so um but yes definitely i think uh, i had the first experience the other night where i went out shooting and i had a big backpack on a guy was there with his phone on a tripod taking a photo on top of mount wellington kunanyi and uh, he asked me what I was shooting with. And when I told him it wasn't a phone, he was super surprised. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, it's like, is, it, is this an inflection point now where most people are now going out with phones and, and there's less people now with um, uh, like bigger mirrorless cameras and that kind of thing. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. But the, the reality is that in a phone, the um, sensor size 
is so small, um, they're going to have to be doing so much more computation and, and AI kind of um, calculations to make these photos work because there's a physical aspect to it where you just don't have the same light collection potential on a smaller chip um, than you do for, with a larger one. So, um, but yeah, um, I never say never with these sort of things. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be going out in any assignments soon though with my phone, but oh, I have yeah. actually done some corporate jobs for phone companies. So it is, um, it is a, it is a thing. <laughs> oh, um, how much, how big of a role does photo pills uh, play while you trying to um you know plan a, a shoot and for, for people who don't know photo pills photo pills is an app where you can pinpoint a location where okay this is gonna be where the sunset is gonna be in the app is very precise in telling you this is where the sunset's gonna be this is where the moon is gonna be and this is where the star is gonna be so it's a very 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 useful app for photographers who are into astro and uh you know sunset photographies and yeah. yeah, I mean, for me personally, it's massive, um, but it really does depend on the photographers you talk to. My my style of photography is I really like to go in um, with a plan in mind. It doesn't mean that I'm one-eyed on that plan. And so if, if the conditions change or other things happen, I'm okay to adapt and do something different. But generally speaking, I'm going in with at least a preconceived shot in mind. And by using an app like that, I'm able to uh, put myself in that space and understand where everything is going to be in terms of the moonrise, moonsets, mm. etc., or, or where the Milky Way position might be. And that's just going to help me understand what time I need to be there. And then based on that, I can also look at the weather and other other things to to understand that. So from a pre-visualization and then executing a plan perspective, um, it's really important. And I guess as being a, a full-time photographer, I, you know, you've got limited time or most people do. And so it's nice to be able to know kind of the time range exactly where you should be and when uh, and so you're not sort of out there wanting to shoot the Milky Way and realizing that it's only going to rise in four hours or, or something like yeah. that so so that's definitely very useful in that perspective but you'll come across photographers that that'll say oh don't plan anything you know just go out there and enjoy it and, and see what comes but uh, that drives me mad <laughs> yeah no. I'd rather go uh, out there mm. knowing um you know, what I'm kind of trying to achieve. Um, and if I don't achieve that, um, I've learned now to to accept that and, and do something else. And, and initially it was always a bit disappointing, but after a while you realize that, you know, the world doesn't always work the way you'd like it to be. And, um, and, and so, so that, but so I'm certainly not saying everyone should plan and, and go out and do that. And there's a huge, huge reason to say, um, go out and, and, uh, just explore and, and see what happens. But, um, yeah, it just depends on your style and, and how you like to go about it. But for me personally, just to wrap it up on that topic is, um, I love being able to think of a shot in my mind and use all the tools and everything at my disposal to be able to know where I need to be at what time I'll turn up there and it just all unfolds exactly how I was expecting um, and for me that's very enjoyable because I've also put all of those skills and, and everything into action so it's that, that's all part of the overall fulfillment for me um, in, in being able to to do that. Look, just before I dive into some business aspects of the job i wanted to know that since you're in tasmania and you've you've been pretty much around all the places all the hot spots to take good pictures and you know all the hot spots for photography 
Um, and I'm pretty sure that you've been to those places multiple times as well. Um, how do you change uh, your perspective and how do you take good pictures the next time or the next time you're there at the same place? And I'm, I understand that the weather situations are different, the lighting is different as well. But the composition, which is a, which is a big, you know, big part of photography, um, how does that how does that work for you? Well, um, it's another very good question, and you, you, there's obviously heaps, heaps of places that I've been to quite a few times, and my first, um, one of the main th thoughts or approaches I have whenever I'm at a, a place I've been before, or is the first time I've been there, is um, I ask myself, what is different about this place as to what it normally might be? So if I arrive and it's snowy, um. I might be there another three or four times and there's no snow there. So I should really take a shot that emphasizes the snow and all of the, um, you know, my icicles or mm. little bits and pieces about that. I could take a shot, say I was at Cradle Mountain, I could just take a shot of Dove Lake and have maybe no snow in the foreground. Um, there might be a bit on the summit too, so there's still something there, but maybe not the best example. But my point being that um, always focus on the strength of the scene because when you return, that mightn't be that way. And so that way you can create unique imagery because um, I know people that, um, using that Cradle example, that have tried to photograph at Cradle Mountain mountain snow many many times and, and haven't been able to come down to Tasmania and shoot it uh, in those conditions even though they've made dedicated trips etc so um, so I think that's for me one of the main things and then um, that means that next time you go back there you're going to almost certainly have a different shot because you've focused on the you know, you can focus on a different aspect. It could be like last time there was snowy. Now it's, uh, I don't know, autumn colours. There's Vegas now, so I'll focus on that. So, the I guess the good part thing part about Tasmania is the seasonality and how we yes. have very defined seasons, and so <clears throat> that can really help um, in terms of differentiating your photography across multiple visits. Uh, mm -hmm. And also not only do we have the seasons, but then we might have you know the Milky Way or an aurora. Um, we can have bioluminescence. Uh, so there's all sorts of factors that can weave in that that create um, unique scenes, even if um, you've been to that location before. Uh, mm. So, so you can even go to the same composition that you shot last time, but it'll look different because of different. those yeah. those um, seasonality uh, changes. So, yeah, that's definitely a big part of the reason why I moved down to Tasmania. And and um, you know, I always say it's a job for life down here. Is there's just so much to do. And you can yeah photograph one place um, in the snow, or you can photograph it with um, an aurora, and th there's always another way you can uh, shoot it. So yeah, that, that's really um, awesome to me. I was going to ask you that why Tasmania, but I think you just summed up, and yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't agree because I was in Tasmania in 2021 during these two months that we are in on right now. And it was autumn season and the whole cradle mountain was just yellow oranges and it was just it was just beautiful like and it was the raining i was there it was raining the day before and we also went there for a hike next day and it was sunny completely changed the whole perspective the whole scene was just completely different and it, and i think you're right it the 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 conditions and the seasons are a major factor of, uh, of tasmania yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you've summed yeah. it up well. Yeah, like that's definitely 
uh, a big part of it. And but also having um, a huge amount of wilderness areas as well that are really um, you can really find yourself in some in a place. Not not that there's not places on mainland Australia as well, but uh, you can really get to some places where you, you just have these amazing moments of solitude and and um, uh, the, yeah, just something about the mountains and the the plants that we have here, the wildlife, um, the hiking, um, the beaches. That you know, it's got it all really. So apart from maybe some glaciers or some deserts, yeah. um, we don't have. Yeah. There's a few aspects that, that aren't covered, but um, generally speaking, you can find most environments you, you're sort of wanting to track down, and and all within about you know, maybe the maximum drive might be four four hours, five hours. Mm. So you can generally get you know anywhere you need to be that day. So that's pretty cool. Okay, um, so. I was in Tasmania uh, in 2021, and I was in the market in Hobart, and there were stalls of photographers there as well. And you know, um, they had their printouts, and they had a bunch of other things as well. Like, and how right now at this day and age, we've got AI as well. Back then, we didn't have AI. How does one stand out in terms of business? How does one build a business in photography, given that there's so much out there and we can literally create images by typing on a keyboard right now? Mm. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a it's a it's a really interesting question, and um, it, uh, I would. It's a grind, basically. Is is the is the first um part of it? Like it just is how passionate you need to be about going out there shooting. You also do need to be passionate about getting your work out there, um, mm. and getting your, um, and and showing people these places that you're capturing and and having a, you kind of have to have a bit of a um vision or a bit of a um. Uh, what are you trying to achieve with the photography that you're putting out uh, and 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 really harnessing that i think uh, for me my journey was really um made possible through instagram and mm. i have a bit of a story where i was uh, working in the corporate world and i moved from a place where i used to be able to walk to work and for 10 minutes and then i moved to the northern beaches in sydney where i had to commute for an hour and i was like this is not great i'm not really keen on sitting on a bus for for um an hour each day each way so two hours a day and so i was like well, i'm just going to use this time to build my instagram account i hear instagram's going to be a big thing so i might as well get amongst it and 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 put my work up there um i'd already been posting on Flickr and other platforms so i was i had a body of work that i could just roll out on instagram and so my goal was to post every day on instagram for as long as i could and i managed to uh, post um, pretty much every day uh, for a period of a couple of years. And it enabled me to build my following uh, pretty rapidly to about 60,000 and then, you know, almost up to 100,000. So um, that was a lot of work though, like amount, the amount of, you know, two hours per day over a couple of years, that's a lot of time to invest into a platform. And I couldn't do that now. So the irony of it is that, um, <laughs> when I was working full-time, I was probably spending more time on that than um, now that I do yeah. it as a full-time job. So um, because I guess there's more of a routine and structure to, to that. So it's definitely good. If you are a commuter, that's definitely a good use of your time. Um, if, rather than doing a scroll-a-thon. Um, <laughs> what about people it. who are driving? 
to build your own brand rather than to yeah. then um you know pump up other other people well that's always nice to do that of course yeah. but um yeah you can definitely use that time to 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 build your own profile and, and social media for me was the way that i was able to sort of cut through and uh the main i think the main reason why i could do it was it was just consistent and i could keep the quality of the imagery that i was putting out there at a higher level as well and i was very upbeat with my captioning i did a lot of um commenting on other people's stuff basically you know it's a bit of a game and you, if you play the game um then then you do get the results it, it can take a long time so i'm not saying that social media necessarily is is the way to go i think nowadays well i mean i guess youtube is social media but i'd say youtube is probably the best bet at the moment especially if you're wanting to earn money from it as well um but um instagram is still probably the the best visual platform for actually showing your work that i'm, that I'm aware of so um so that, that those are those are some avenues there in terms of markets and and um, more physical uh ways of getting your work out there that's really only going to have uh, help from a local perspective um and you know it's truly global when you're on youtube and and um, mm. instagram and, and and brands can see that work and, and you can get brand work from that and license images and things like that so um it, i think you could almost look at doing both and having local markets or selling prints locally and also having uh, a bit of a social media presence but um I, I would think that um social media unfortunately is like a necessary evil for photographers in this day and age um, um when i say evil it's more just in terms of uh, time time consumption and <laughs> it's probably nicer to be spending people uh, time with people and in the natural world rather than on the screen but um I, i'm i'm really looking at the moment to um outsourcing a little bit of my um scheduling and posting um it's still my own content and captioning and such mm. but more so just from the routine aspect of it just so it happens but i'm not having to spend time on brain so so there's definitely um um things you can do there but that's i think that's it um I'd, i i i personally couldn't um uh think of a, a better way uh, it's just a it, you just have to have patience and and um consistency and quality is probably the, the the three um the three aspects to that what was do you remember a time moment or we, i think you just mentioned instagram what was it that led your career to a different tra trajectory while you were working i think um being noticed by other uh by businesses or, or tourism uh, authorities and and uh having some opportunities come my way in terms of doing some travel trips to promote uh locations uh that that really kind of got me into the zone of thinking that photography for me could be a source of income or well it did mm. become a source of income and and I, I knew that um well i i i thought that it would it was going to be very hard to to sort of match the levels of the income that i had at the time in the in the corporate world um and to some degree that's still true but i think that um it's much more of a lifestyle decision when you when you take on photography than it is a um a financial one and there's a saying that's um if you want to make um a million dollars in photography start with 2 million dollars um it's probably <laughs> accurate <laughs> um but the um but yeah like you have to you have to love it you're not going to last uh, yeah. if you don't have the passion and and the drive and and um have a bit of a mission or goal or, or understanding of what you're trying to achieve with it um it, it would be very hard to to maintain and um and uh, you know working for yourself is never easy but um yeah in yeah. terms of 
getting to that point, it was definitely um, it, it was getting opportunities through social media to to promote mainly destination marketing, um, mm. and um, it sort of went from there, getting some commercial work, and then starting to run some workshops and having the the supporter base on on social media means that you can uh, you know people are very keen to join you on a workshop or, or other aspects like that. So it sort of helps um, to create this community that that you can kind of. Um, you know, uh, help to um, move into more of a full-time position with doing photography, which was um, pretty, pretty scary, but very fulfilling. Does AI, is AI a factor of worry or does that bother you in any which way? Um, now that, you know, we can, as I said, create images from keyboards, basically. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... I find it's a it's an interesting space and it's definitely not going away and and it's only going to get better and better if you just even see how fast um the the quality of the mid journey outputs are getting um even just over a f- the period of a few months um it, it's pretty astounding and there's certainly aspects of photography that I think are going to really have some issues um or, or it's going to be a challenge like if you're doing stock photography or other aspect aspects mm, like yes. that which but I do feel like being a landscape photographer, when it when a destination's involved, um, it's people are going to expect that that image was actually an image taken at that place. I mean, there's certain there's certain scenarios if you're doing a blog or something like that. People, you know, the the, the people you, you that are creating that content may be okay with it not being so. But say a tourism authority, they're not going to be able to. Um, have a social license, I think, to use AI imagery um, to promote their location. It has to has to be an image of the actual place. Um, even if AI is conceived of it, yeah. it technically still isn't. So I think there's aspects where landscape photography may even be more sought after because um, the the authentic every it, making it easy for everyone to create this stuff means that um, and landscape photography inherently isn't isn't easy um that you you do have to really push yourself sometimes anyone that's a not a morning person try and do a sunrise and see how you go (laughs) so um and i'm not by the way (laughs) so um so i think um i don't know i I don't know if um landscape photography even though you can you can create all these amazing beautiful landscapes but they're all fantasies if um Mm. i don't know how well um they'll do a a landscape of Cradle Mountain in the future. I'm, I'm assuming it, they'll probably might even nail it, but and and maybe people won't care if it's a real landscape or not in, in inverted commas. But um, I think that um, from from that perspective, there's still going to be a demand for uh, natural imagery created by people, and if people want to have a a connection with a photographer and a person and and support someone's work. I don't think they're going to be supporting yeah. uh, an exhibition mm. of mid-journey uh, landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, that might might they might do from a curiosity perspective, but um, you know, um, I, yeah, and I'm sure that that'll happen. But I, I'm you know, I'm, I could be wrong too. But I, I really don't feel like people have a see a social license for that to happen. So, um, yeah. But certainly, if people are doing blogs or incidental content, or they're doing a presentation, just want a quick image of something, um, then then there's there's definitely opportunities that might not exist in the future that that do now. Um, but um, yeah, I think. Um, in terms of what I do, um, I, I feel a little bit more uh, comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Well, just before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask you what kit you were using. 
at this moment. Oh yeah, well, I'm a I'm a Sony um, digital imaging advocate. Just to just to uh, declare <laughs> that, but yeah, so I shoot um I shoot Sony equipment. So yeah. I have a um Sony A7R5 and a Sony A7 IV, which I use the A7 IV for um uh, for uh, night photography, and I use the A7R5 for my landscapes. It's a uh, got a high resolution at 62 yeah. megapixels, mm-hmm. and then I use a, a series of wide angle and, and telephoto lenses depending on the scenario. And I'm an f-stop ambassador, so I have an f-stop backpack, um, and um, you know, use a Lightroom and Photoshop and things like that uh, to edit my photos uh, as well. So um, different tripods and filters and uh, all of those kind yeah. of aspects. But yeah, the, it's the Sony kit for me that that um, it's it's a good balance between uh, size and weight and and being yeah. able to get it out there into the landscape and 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 take some really good shots. So I'm very grateful to be able to do some work with those guys as well. What's your favorite lens? Oh, I think it's the um, the twelve to twenty four GM lens, um, yeah. which is a very expensive lens. It's, I think it retails for over five thousand dollars. But yeah. um, the it's a it's a very high quality lens, and basically, um, you could you can buy these prime lenses where it's just one focal length, and it only it doesn't zoom. It that's what it does, and normally they're better quality. But with this lens, it zooms, and pretty much every single focal length is a prime lens. So it's very high quality, and and because it goes to two point eight, it also lets me do a lot of night photos with it as well so even though it's a little on the heavier side it's still not that bad um i'll I'll still take it out on big hikes because um i love the love going really wide with the lens and fitting everything in if you were if you could use one lens one focal length which focal length would you use just one for the rest of your life that's really rough, man. Um, I would, I would, I don't know. Is life worth living anymore? No, I think um, I am not sure. But I mean, I, I would have to say, geez, it, it almost have to be like fourteen millimeters or something. I think uh, for me, um, I just love being able to fit the whole scene in. It means that you're not going to see much in the distance um, in terms of some of the bigger mountains in the back might be diminished because you the wide angle a- lens tends to do that. You could give me a range as well. Like you could give me like 14 to 30 or 14 to 24. Oh, well, it's definitely, well, if I could just take the 12 to 24 um, or oh, have yeah. that focal length range, then most of the time I'm pretty happy with that. So um, I think that's that for me would be, um, that's definitely my main workhorse. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, Luke, I think these are, these are all my questions, man. And uh, honestly, we've had a really fun chat with you and it's been really good. Um we we look up to you we look up to your work and uh, if there's a chance in hell if i ever come to tasmania and if i could take you out for a coffee or maybe a hike it would, oh, be, it would be an absolute honor for me yeah so, come uh, over for an aurora shoot or something that'd be pretty uh, cool yeah i have i have been following aurora pages on facebook dedicatedly and i don't know if you know there was a 8 kpi recently like um yep. a couple of months ago Yep. And I went to Cape Shank and it just, it didn't show up. Lady didn't show oh, up. No. She wasn't, she wasn't there, but it, it is what it is. And that's fine. But uh, I know Tasmania has had one of the best auroras recently. And um, yeah. So uh, my first experience with bioluminescence was in Tasmania and it just blew my mind. It's like, yeah, it's what is awesome. this? What is this? And uh, yeah. So um if, if there's a chance if I could do that, so it'll be an honor, man. But thank you so much again, Luke. And I'd like to mention that we usually record a podcast in a studio, but this is my, this is literally my room. And we, we usually have some a, logistical yeah, some logistical errors for today. 
Um, so uh, thank you for being patient with us, and we wish you all the luck. So, um, no problem know. at all. Yeah, um, yeah. Please feel free to get in touch, and, and thanks so much for listening.